Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Amen. What's up, church? It's good to be with all of you. Good to worship together. I want to give a shout out to our Fred campus, everybody watching online and everybody in the NIWAC campus. If you don't know me, my name is Amanda Rohrbaugh, and like Sean said, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And my husband, Dee, and I, we've got five kiddos, and and you guys have probably heard me talk about them here and there, but our kids are all grown up, they're married, they actually have kids of their own. And this is what I think you learn really quickly when you become a parent, right? Because I think we think we're going to be a parent, our kids are all going to be the same. Guess what? Not true. Every single one of them is different. So it's like, hey, this is going to be an easy gig, right? We're just going to parent them all the same. Don't have to work hard. Not true. And and the story is the same for us. So five kids, our two youngest, Cherokee and Chloe, they're about two and a half years apart in age, and they could not be more different. So let me set this picture up for you. Chloe, Chloe's the baby of the family, so that tells you one thing already. And Chloe's probably, she's shy, quiet, she's a little more reserved. Chloe's like sweet and kind to a fault, right? I mean, you know, you know when you fall down and get hurt, Chloe's going to be the first one to run and help you up, make sure you're okay. All right, you got the picture of Chloe. And then there's Cherokee. So everything that Chloe is, Cherokee is the opposite. Now, not that she's that kind, she's a nurse, she takes care of people, But Cherokee is loud, she's super confident, she's probably going to have no problem walking in a room and not only telling you exactly how she feels, she's happy to tell you exactly what to do, right? And if you fall and get hurt, Cherokee's probably going to laugh and then she might come think about helping you get up. So there's a little bit of Cherokee, I mean she might be a little bit like her mom, I don't know, I can take that. But you got the picture, all right? So Cherokee and Chloe, they're about 16 and 14 years old. We're sitting at our dinner table. It's just the four of us, Dee and I, the two girls, eating dinner. And we're just having conversation. Dee and I are kind of having our own conversation. The girls are having their own conversation. And then like sisters, that conversation, it starts to turn into a little bickering, right? I'm not paying a ton of attention at this point, but they're bickering for sure. And at some point in this conversation, Cherokee decides that it's a good idea to reach across the table and slap her sister across the face. Now, I'm not talking like full-on open hand slap, but a pretty good tap across the face. And in that moment, sweet, kind little Chloe, before we even knew what was happening, she grabbed her sister by the neck, she pinned her up against the wall of the dining room, She got a good old right hook, and she went for the belly, hit Cherokee, to which Cherokee went, and then she went up high, and it's about right here where I finally came out of the shock of what was happening, and I was like, that girl's about to deck her sister in the nose, and I think I yelled out, Chloe, and she stopped in that moment, and she actually looked at Dee and I, and she was like, who am I right now? What am I doing? And she stopped, and and it's funny. I think Chloe had that thing that we so often have, right? Her first instinct, even in all of her sweetness, was you hurt me, 
I'm gonna hurt you. It's what we do, it's our human nature. And why is that? Why do we do that? Actually, I I Googled it as I was preparing for this message, because like, it's funny, why do we do that? And, And some researchers did this. They surveyed a certain amount of people. And of the people they surveyed, 44% of those people, they said that they actually have sought out revenge on a coworker. That means you like have to make a conscious choice to do that. And then 52% of those people that did that, they actually said quick revenge is more desirable to them than money. They'd rather get revenge than get paid. That's how we operate. I mean, we are motivated by revenge. When somebody does something to us, like socially rejects us, they're mean to us, we automatically kind of go Old Testament on them. You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We are out for revenge. It's just the way that we're wired. It's the culture that we live in. And I think some of you, some of you are sitting in here and you're like, you're crazy. My kid would never pin somebody up against the wall and want to deck them. I'd never have that reaction. But I think if we're telling the truth, we've all had a moment, and maybe you didn't act on it, but I think we've all thought about it. Like, I want to get back at that person. It's what we do. We want to repay evil for evil. So here's what I've been thinking as I've been writing this message. If it's normal in our culture for us to be evil for evil, if it's normal for us to want to get revenge, then we have an opportunity as followers of Jesus. And it's this, our best opportunity to be like Jesus is returning good for evil. So this is what I want to do. We're going to continue our series. We're finishing that up today. We've been talking about David. Sean talked about some identity stuff with David the last two weeks. If you missed that, you should definitely go and check those out. But today, we're going to pick up um, in the life of David. And you know from the past couple weeks, we all know that, that David was anointed by Samuel to be king when he was about 13 years old. But at this point in David's life, David's on the run. All right, Saul is still actually sitting on the throne. And Saul, he, he is not a fan of David. I mean, he wants him dead. So right now we find David, he's, he's in hiding, he's in the wilderness, he's on the run. He might be the king of Israel, but he is definitely not living like a king in this moment. So I want you guys to get to 1 Samuel 25, grab your Bibles, and I just want to give you a little context. Like I said, David's living off the land, he's in the wilderness in this moment, and a little cultural background to the story that we're talking about. I mean, it was really common in this time that there would be farmers and shepherds, and they would, they would have their sheep, their goats, whatever, out on the land. And if there was a lord in the area or a king, like David was, then they would watch over the sheep, the shepherds, the farmers, the goats. And it wasn't something they were really asked to do or required to do. It was just kind of a cultural norm, right? But there was a little catch. I mean, remember I said David, he's got about 600 people that are following him, living in the wilderness with him. And that's a lot of people to feed and take care of. And part of the cultural norm was like, hey, not expected of you to watch over these, this livestock or these people, but maybe, just maybe, when it comes to shearing time, when it comes time to make a profit off of that, maybe we'll get a little piece of that, a little provision of that. So that's where we're going to pick up our story. 1 Samuel 25, verse 2. It says, A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. 
He had a thousand goats, three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean. So here's where we meet Nabal and Abigail. And so that's whose sheep David was protecting, watching over their shepherds. And I want you to pay attention to how they describe Abigail, right? Both as intelligent and beautiful. And then Nabal, Nabal's just a jerk, to be honest. His name actually means fool. I mean, that guy is just not a nice guy. Nobody wants to deal with him, but that, that's who David is dealing with in this story. So we move on to verse 4. It says, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men, and he said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. So David's got this spirit of kindness, right? You can hear it. And he continues to say, Now, I hear that this is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were there with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So basically, David's telling his guys, hey, go up, go up to Nabal, be kind, but I need to feed all these people. And, and Nabal's in the point right now, he's going to make profit off of these sheep that he's sharing. And so just maybe because we were kind to him, he'll be kind to us, right? Just maybe because we could have killed them, we could have stole from them, we didn't do any of that. So maybe he'll give us some provisions. So, so David sends them. And remember, this is a common ask. It wasn't rude. It wasn't out of the ordinary. Moving to verse 9, it says, When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Now, it's funny because Nabal knew exactly who David was. I mean, Nabal was actually, he was a fan of Saul. And so this who is David comment, he was actually just insulting him, kind of poking at him. Like, what are you going to do about it? And then he goes on to say, he's like, I don't don't know you anything. He tells David's men, I didn't ask you to come. I didn't ask you to protect my sheep or my shepherds. And so, no, I'm not giving you anything. Go back and tell David No, so that's what his men do. In verse 12, David's men turned around, they went back, and when they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. And it's funny because David in this moment, he's having that reaction, right? I mean, David's ready to fight. He's in full revenge mode. And it might seem a little extreme. David sends his men to ask for some food, some provision from Nabal. Nabal says no. And David, he's like, fine, I'm just going to go kill that guy. Right? And off he goes, which seems extreme. But I think about sweet little Chloe, who pinned her sister up against the wall and was going to deck her. It's what we do. We have these extreme responses. And in that moment that, that that's happening, Nabal's servants... They kind of hear all that's happening, the rumbling of this. And so they actually go and tell Nabal's wife, Abigail. They're like, hey, word on the street is this. David went and asked for some provision. Nabal, who's just being a jerk, he said, no, I'm not going to give you anything. 
And so Abigail, stuff's about to go down. I mean, David's about to come and take out your entire household. He's about to kill your husband. And you know what Abigail does? Abigail immediately goes into a posture of generosity, which I just find is so interesting because I don't know about you, but mom's in the room. You know, when somebody wants to hurt my kid or hurt my family, I'm pretty sure I don't go into a posture of generosity. I'm more like David. I'm like, game on, I will take you out, right? That's what we think, but that's not what Abigail does. She, she knows what David did for their family. She knows that they protected them. And so Abigail does this in verse 18. It says, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and she loaded them on donkeys. And then she told her servants, you go on ahead, I'll meet you there. So she wasn't just a little generous. I mean, Abigail is gathering some stuff. And she's loading up the donkeys, and she's going out to meet David and his men. And so we pick it up in verse 23. It says, When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey. She bowed down before David with her face to the ground. And this is one tiny little verse, verse 23. But there is so much packed in this verse. I mean, first is this. Abigail gets off of her donkey, and she bows down in front of David. And the interesting thing to me about that is that wasn't necessary. She didn't need to bow down to him. Abigail's an intelligent woman. She's married to a wealthy man. There was nothing in that moment that said she had to bow down to David, but she did, and it got his attention. And the second thing is this. Abigail is approaching this with such humility. I mean, you've got two guys actually who are just being jerks because David in this moment is doing that, right? He's about to repay evil for evil. He's not acting right. You've got Nabal who's just being a total jerk. And you've got Abigail who really didn't do anything wrong. And she's about to take one for the team in this moment with complete humility. And then the third thing is this, just vulnerability. I mean, Abigail goes, she meets David, and she bows down, and she has no idea what's going to happen in that moment. She's taking a chance. Because remember, David's on his way to kill her husband. And who knows what's going to happen? She could bow down in front of him, and there's two things that are probably going to happen. He's either going to stop and listen to her in that moment, or he could just kill her and keep going on, right? So Abigail's taking a chance. And then she says this in verse 24. It says, she fell at his feet, And she said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. And I love this moment with Abigail because I think oftentimes when when we're in that moment, we start blaming, we get defensive. Our communication style isn't that of Abigail's. But this is what Abigail does. Her, Her... husband is about to get murdered by David, and she sees past what David's about to do in that moment, and she just starts speaking to David's potential. It's amazing to me. She starts telling him, David, that is not who you are. You're not a wrongdoer. You're a good man. You're a king. 
God made you for something specific, and it is not to go and take out my fool of a husband, Nabal. That's not what he made you for. And he just, she just keeps speaking this potential. And I think there's a lesson in that moment for all of us. Because what if we did that? What if giving people what they deserved isn't what, what, what we did? We think they deserve something more than just speaking potential of them. You've got to be punished in that moment. What if we started speaking to their potential? I mean, take me, for instance. I walked into this place 28 years ago, and I walked into this place as a 21-year-old who had little church background. I came from a broken family, messy life up to that point. And you know what? Linda Algram looked at me, and instead of seeing someone who had all of that, she saw potential in me. And not only did she see potential in me, she spoke potential over me, and she gave me an opportunity She didn't give me what I deserved. She spoke potential into me. And there's this quote, it's by Johan van Gutta, and it says this, treat people as if they were what they ought to be, and you help them become what they are capable of being. And this is what Abigail is doing in this moment. She's telling David, this is what you're capable of being. And we have an amazing opportunity to do this in so many areas of our life. I mean, pick an area. Parents, you have an opportunity to do that. Spouses, you have an opportunity to do that in your marriage. Right? I mean, what if you spent more time telling your spouse what they were capable of and what they could do instead of telling them how bad they are and what they can't do? What would our marriages look like? What would leadership look like? What would our friendships look like if we did that? And I just want to pause for a minute. I want to talk to the females in the room. Whether you're young or old, I think we have a unique opportunity as females when it comes to this subject. Because you know what we're really good at as females? We're really good at walking in a room and tearing each other down. Right? We're really good at not speaking potential into each other. What would it look like if we made a choice to walk into a room and build each other up? What if as females you would compliment instead of compete? And here's the thing, I'm not always good at this, still to this day, didn't grow up being good at this. I mean, I'm probably the most competitive person that you might meet in this building. So when you beat me, I wanna get you back. I wanna win. I grew up with my dad, I grew up with my brothers. There was no complimenting in my household. There was no like, hey, walk in and and tell someone what they're capable of besides winning. But then God did this really funny thing. He gave me a house full of girls. And you know, my perspective began to change because as I raised my girls, this is what I learned and this is what I saw. I saw their self-image continue to get compromised over and over and over again as they grew up. And it was funny because most of the time that was happening because their friends, us as females, they weren't building them up. They were so busy tearing each other down that it began to affect them. Whether that was in person, at school, on social media, it's what we do. So what if, what if as females, we were different? Because you know what I've learned? I've learned that a strong woman A strong female leader, it's somebody who can walk in a room 
and can complement instead of compete. We have an opportunity to speak into our young girls, to speak into each other, because it hurts just the same when you're older. Compliment instead of compete. Be an Abigail. All right, verse 30. When the Lord has fulfilled my Lord, every good thing he promised concerning him, and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. In this moment, Abigail is asking David, hey David, what story do you want to tell? Five, 10, 20 years from now when you're king, what story do you want to tell? And David has that moment that Chloe had with, with his fist up. And he stops in that moment and he says, who am I right now? What am I doing? And then David goes on in verse 32 to say this. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. David just has this heart of thankfulness as he he says this. He says, May you be blessed for your good judgment, for keeping me from bloodshed this day, and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. What David is saying in this moment is thanks for seeing in me what I couldn't see in myself. Thanks for saving me from making a very, very bad decision. And I think it's, it's for us, it's a reminder that if you don't have someone in your life who can speak boldly to you, who can speak true to you, who can show up and stop you in those moments, who can speak potential in you, you should find that person in your life. And a lot of times we don't have that person because we're not bold enough to put that person in our lives, right? It's easier to not go down that road. You should find that person. And the rest of the story goes like this. Basically, David comes to his senses. He's like, you're right, Abigail. I'm not going to go and kill Nabal. I'm not going to take out your household. You can go home. Go back to your husband. So that's what Abigail does. She she goes back to Nabal. Nabal's actually just being the jerk that he is. He's having a big party. He's drunk. Abigail waits till the next morning. And then he tells, she tells him what happened. And funny thing is, the rest of the story is that Nabal's heart turns to stone. And 10 days later, that guy dies. And David finds out what happened. And David reaches out to Abigail, and he asks Abigail to marry him. And Abigail gets on her donkey, and she goes and marries David. End of the story. Yeah, you, you can clap. That's a good story. <laughs> um, but, hey, I love that part because I'm like, I bet he did ask that girl to marry him, right? He'd be a fool not to. I mean, look at her. She, she's beautiful. She's intelligent. She's humble, she's generous, she's proactive. He should ask her to marry him. And guys, if you're single in the room and you don't have a girl, you should find yourself an Abigail. What I love about this story, it says over and over that Abigail was beautiful. And actually that word of of beauty isn't used often in the Bible referring to women. But what I love in this story is it says she was beautiful 
but that's not what got David's attention. It was her humility, her generosity. That's what got David's attention. So moving on, basically, here's the deal. We've got three different people in this story, right? And we've got three different responses. We've got Nabal. Nabal, he just repaid evil for good. And I'd love to say I've never been there, but that's not true. I mean, I think we've all done that. Somebody does something kind for you, and you're just mean back to them for no good reason. And then we have David, and David is kind of like what we typically are. He's repaying evil for evil. Like, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You're mean to me, I'm going to be mean to you. It's pretty typical. David forgets his identity, forgets who he is in that moment. We have that moment. We, we forget who we are, and we just repay evil for evil. And then you've got Abigail. And Abigail is returning good for evil. And when Abigail does that, it's, it's just remarkable. It's crazy. It's countercultural. It wasn't the norm. And the thing is, is it's still countercultural today. When we return good for evil, it's not normal. It's countercultural for us as individuals. And unfortunately, it's countercultural for us in the church. We don't do a good job at this. But it is one of the things that set apart the first local church. I mean, Peter was leading in the first church, and this is what he said in 1 Peter 3, 9. He said, don't, and I think he said it five times, even though it's not in there. Don't, 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 do not, do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. But on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And that that verse, do not repay evil for evil, that's still true for us today. And Peter didn't just make this up. He got it from Jesus. He walked with that guy for three years on this earth, and that's what he learned from him. And the best story, the best example of returning good for evil, it's the resurrection. It's what Jesus did for us. We didn't deserve it. He could have returned evil for evil. That's what we are. But that's not what happened. God sent his son to go to the cross for us, to take on all of our sin, our shame, our crud, to return good for evil. And it's so remarkable, so countercultural that we're still talking about it 2,000 years later because it's an incredible story. And you know what we should be asking ourselves? What story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell at the end of your life? What story do you want to tell right now? What story do you want to tell when it's nothing but a story? We can ask that about ourselves. We can ask ourselves about the church. What story do we want to tell? Because Jesus repaid good for evil. And that that question, what story do you want to tell, is the question that Abigail asked David. And I think it's a really, really good question. What story do you want to tell? There's a verse in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. 
And I think we get this wrong as Christians. I think we get it wrong in the church. We think we're better than other people. And the truth is this, we might have something better because we have Jesus, but we aren't any better. We're nothing without him. We're nothing without him going to the cross, without repaying good for evil. He didn't do what we deserved. And he could have. So this is the question I have for you today. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do as an individual? What are we gonna do as the church? The next time somebody does something evil to you, next time somebody says something mean to you, next time somebody walks in these doors and they don't agree with every single thing that you think, what are you gonna do? Because I think, and Jesus thinks, that our best opportunity, our best opportunity is to return good for evil. That's our best opportunity to be like Jesus. And that's what we're going for. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for just a reminder in your word, God, of who you are, of who we are, God, thank you that you loved us enough to send your son, not to do what we deserved, God, but to do what we didn't deserve. God, that he repaid the ultimate good for evil. So God, I pray just over our church. God, I pray for us as Christians. God, I pray that you would just give us a spirit and Speak through us, God, in a way that speaks to people's potential. God, tell them what they're capable of. Don't treat them maybe as, as we think that they deserve, God, but that we would be returning good for evil. So, God, we're, we're thankful to just serve you today, thankful to be in this place. God, we lift all of this up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.